final episodes before the holiday break, and it's officially the holiday break for the London Knights. The Night Shift, Calgabard, and Mike Stubbs, as always, where you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well as globalnews.ca at Stubbs980 on socials at Kyle Grimard. And Mike, a, a pretty good last week of the season for the London Knights as they clean things up with, with three consecutive wins, including an incredibly emotional and memorable one on this past Sunday. Sunday was, and Sunday was one of those games that we're all going to remember. You honor Abakar Kazbekov before the game. It was one year after losing Abakar. And his closest friend, Ruslan Gazazov, plays the hero in the game by tying it and then winning it in overtime. And we'll talk about that on the podcast because that was a really special day for anybody who was in attendance. Really special day for all of Abakar's former teammates as well. But you're right. The Knights go into the holiday break on a three-game winning streak. You take... Four players and then three players out of their lineup that have been doing so much scoring that are so important to the team and will always be important to the team, but we have documented how many times when they're not there, you can't do anything about it. Who else is going to step up? And boy, did we see everybody step up. You name a night, and that's exactly what you got from them. Another level, and it bodes very well if you're going to take the team that beat Windsor 6-2, that beat Owen Sound 8-2, and that came back and beat the Sudbury Wolves 4-3, and you're going to now insert Easton Cowan, Oliver Bonk, and Casper Haltonen back into that lineup. That's good. That's great. The Knights are at 20 wins. They're still on pace for 40. We'll break that down later in the podcast. And we will have Shane Malloy with a World Junior Preview. So we'll talk about that. But let's talk about Ruslan Gazazov's week to begin things. Player of the Week, Kyle. And how many times do we see the Player of the Week with seven points or eight points? Because that's really hard to get in three games. Ruslan Gazazov. Three goals, eight assists, 11 points in three games. He has 14 points in his past five games. It's been magical to watch him. And exactly what you said about when guys leave or or get taken out of the lineup, you're expecting other players to hopefully step up in their place. And Gazazov has led the charge. Like you said, three goals and 11 points in a three game span over the course of the week. Those three games, you know, all big games too, because, you know, the Knights had a hard fought comeback that came up short against the Sioux Greyhounds this past Sunday. So coming off of a loss, it was, that was the first game without all three of the big guns, Bonk, uh, Cowan and Halton him. And I believe Denver Barkey was also not a part of that. So who was going to step up in that regard? And we saw a lot of players fill in incredibly admirably, specifically on the blue line with Sam Dickinson and Isaiah George really leading the charge. But Ruslan Gazazov had a four and five point game, I believe, on the Tuesday and the Friday matchups when one of those was in the uh, that eight to, to two victory. I think he had a goal and four assists in that game, but he has been his confidence is shooting up as high as I've seen it in a long time. He's getting confidence with the puck. He knows when he's got it in the right spot. And right now he is the hottest player in the league. And Dylan Hunter, always leave it to Dylan Hunter to see maybe that little thing that none of us see as being a big difference. We talked with Dylan about 
what Ruslan Gazazov's game has been like of late, but here's what he pointed to. He's done well. He's been doing power skating, so his feet have been getting a lot quicker, so I feel like he's getting in the... He always had the skill and the mindset, but sometimes against quicker teams, he'd get caught. So now he's finding the holes, and if he doesn't have a pass, he's pushing that puck up ice and, and creating more things for him. The work on the skating, that is Dylan Hunter, talking about Ruslan Gazazov and how hard he's been working on his skating. And that allows that little added mobility because he's got that vision. When he sees a play, he has the ability to identify where the puck is going to go in a split second. And then the other half of that, he has the ability to get it there. But if we go back to Sunday, Kyle, Mm -hmm. this was a game that the Sudbury Wolves Wanted to have, needed to have. Sure, the Knights wanted and needed to have it as well. But the Wolves had beaten the London Knights 9-2. to High-flying team. And when you don't put them back on their heels, they'll keep coming. And we saw that. And the Knights had four consecutive power play opportunities. And this is a power play that went into that game on an 11-game streak, scoring at least one power play goal. Their power play was clicking at 55.5%, even without the likes of Cowan and Bonk and Halton and, and Denver Barkey for two of those games. It was still rolling along. And then four consecutive power plays go by, and Kyle, it was still one nothing. And you knew the Wolves were going to get a chance. You knew they were going to push back. They did. They tied it. They went ahead. They stayed ahead. And then we saw something remarkable late in the game where Dale Hunter pulls the goalie. Michael Simpson had had a great game. He goes to the bench. Jared Woolley is on the power play. And there's just another one of those little things that Dale will see during the course of a game. Jared Woolley has not played much hockey in the OHL, but there he is, late stages of a game, just over 90 seconds remaining, working the left side of the offensive zone on the man advantage. And he slides a puck across to Ruslan Gazazov. All of a sudden, we've got a tie game. In that pass, too, it was like poetry in motion, Mike, where I was watching it and looking over and I saw the cage. And I went, who is that? Oh, it's Jared Woolley. Oh, he's out there. Oh, he made a pass. Oh, it's in the back of the net. <laughs> it was one of those at every moment you had a realization. Another one came about it. That pass was absolutely spectacular. He's 17, but he's got the cage on because he's been up and down in the lineup so far and in and out and What an absolutely remarkable play by him. The instinct of a coach knowing that he has seen either something in practice or glimpses of in a game, putting a guy like that in that situation and who pulls through with the one-timer on his off wing. It's not a Casper Halton and special. It's a Ruslan Gazazov special. He ties it and sets them up for OT. And in overtime, we have to remember, and fans were wondering about this, talking about this, saying, what was going on in overtime? Well, three-on-three overtime, even if you watch it in the National Hockey League, has become about puck possession. And it's almost like watching two-on-two basketball. That's what it feels like, where you're really trying to create that matchup. You're trying to find a two-on-one without surrendering a two-on-one when you miss. Three-on-three was always so exciting because it would be – Back and forth, one team would take that chance and it would either go in or if they missed, it would go back the other way in an odd man rush situation. And we saw that. And as Dylan Hunter had pointed out on a previous podcast, eventually coaches are going to make things boring. And the coaches have said, this is the way that we're going to do it. So there's a lot of regrouping. But for time to tick down, 
We were just over 20 seconds left when Dale Hunter decided to make a line change. McHugh, Edward, and Julian will change. McHugh holding the puck, and McHugh calls for Kazazov to come and get the puck. 20 seconds to go in overtime. Isaiah George for Kazazov. Down left wing, he comes. In across the blue line, makes a move. He gets in, he scores! He scores! Ruslan Kazazov! Maybe a little magic from Abakar Kazbekov on a day when the Knights honored a teammate they lost one year ago. Roseland Gazazov ties the game and then wins it in overtime, 4-3. to three. Ruslan Gazazov with a celebration oh. that I know Rob Shrimp has weighed in on a couple of times. Rob Shrimp has used that one, the <laughs> kayak paddle, or the I don't know whether it's a canoe paddle. It looks more like a kayak. Yeah. But that, that finished it off, and it finished off a game in which when you were down to that much time left in overtime, Kyle, there was only one option for the Knights. You had 20 seconds. You had one last rush. And when Gazazov got the puck, he was going to go end-to-end or this was going to go to a shootout. That was it. Yeah, there were no other opportunities. There wasn't a whole lot of time left. Maybe a quick counterattack, but at that point... You might as well just play for the shootout. Gazazov sees his opening. He gets a one-on-one matchup. He makes a beautiful move around the defender. And then, Mike, what I like about the play is he doesn't try to overanalyze or overstick handle and try to outthink the goaltender. He doesn't have his stick actually on the puck. It's hovering over. He sees an opportunity and throws it five-hole. The puck is on and off his stick in a heartbeat. Doesn't give the goaltender time to set up or react or give himself an opportunity to read what Gaz is going to do. He makes the shot, fools the goaltender, pucks in the back of the net. And Mike, uh, you alluded to this as well. I don't think it could have been a better storybook ending if you sent a script to Disney and asked them to write it. Because, of course, this was a very memorable and special game. It was um, the unfortunate one-year anniversary of the passing of Abakar Kazbekov. And of all people, Mike, to not only tie the game, but end it in overtime in spectacular fashion, it had to be Ruslan Gazazov. And you can believe that it is a coincidence, may very well have been. You can also believe maybe there was a little something more to it. I've been emailing back and forth with John Parkin, who's a great Knights fan. And John and I have been talking a little bit about 2013 and Bo Horvat. And you go back to when another member of the Knights family who never did get a chance to play a game with the London Knights, Ian Jenkins, a goaltender, tragically passed away. He was at school. He jumped up on the back of a pickup truck. The truck moved and and he unfortunately hit his head and he died from his injuries. So he never did get a chance to play, but he would have been the goaltender that the Knights would have had in their sights for the teams that ended up winning back-to-back OHL championships. And Bo Horvat would write something on his stick before every game. Ian Jenkins would always use the line, have a purpose. He would tell his friends, his teammates, everyone, have a purpose. And so Bo Horvat would always write HAP. He might still do this to this day, but he would write HAP. And there the Knights were in the OHL championship series in game seven, something very similar against the Barry Colts, where I think there were 14 seconds left when Seth Griffith 
fired a puck around the boards. Alex Broadhurst knocked it down, got control of it, and then put it on goal. And the puck came to Bo Horvat at the side of the net, and he put it in. And fans who remember that moment, who were Knights fans in 2013, know that that goal came with 0.1 seconds left, and it won a championship. But there was there was that similar feel where, sure, you could call it a coincidence, but at the same time, who knows? And it was just a, a very special moment to be a part of. So the Knights go into the holiday break with their 20th victory. And that means, Kyle, they are on pace for another 40-win season. You go back to when Markendale purchased the team. From that moment to now, they have won 40 games in a season 16 times. So they are on pace for a 17th wow. since the year 2000. And... That just that doesn't happen. You're not seeing other teams even getting into double digits. There are some teams that just have a couple of 40 win seasons. This this isn't normal, but it is normal in London. And here we go again. So now we'll wait and see what happens as we move forward. But three and one without three high end teammates. Next on the schedule will be a trip to Sarnia on December the 28th. And then they will come home to face the Sarnia Sting on December the 29th. And then it's a New Year's Eve game against the Flint Firebirds at 4 o'clock on New Year's Eve. And while all of those games are going on, we are going to see the World Juniors get underway. We've got pre-tournament action all this week. Canada is playing, if you're listening to this as the podcast comes out, Canada's probably in action in their first pre-tournament game, but they will play Switzerland on Friday at 9 a.m. That's our time. They'll play the United States Saturday at noon, our time, and they open against Finland on Boxing Day. And they now, Kyle, have their 13th forward. That has solidified itself. The Boston Bruins made the announcement. Matthew Poitra is being loaned to the Canadian World Junior Squad for the upcoming tournament. Initially, uh, as we all knew, Canada had named 12 forwards, leaving an, uh, the door open with an opportunity for a 13th to be added. If you listen to the last one, Mike and I made the case for Denver Barkey and pretty compelling ones too, knowing there are injuries on the Boston Bruins right now. And Matthew Poitra, we thought was going to have to step up and play a bigger role. And then also with the injury to Jeff Skinner on the Buffalo Sabres, that meant that Zach Benson was probably going to fill a bigger role with Buffalo when both teams kind of vying right now. I know Buffalo is a little lower, but Boston was a big surprising one. But as I read more and more, Mike, it sounds like right now that they had moved Morgan geeky over to center. So he was kind of filling in that role. And Pavel Zaka, who was dealing with an injury, just returned to practice. So I guess Boston, maybe felt like they had the opportunity and could loan Poitra. So Poitra gets added. We don't know yet where he's going to fit into the lineup, presumably either on the top line, at least in the top six, which potentially bumps another player down. We don't know who that's going to be yet, but you know, Poitra had a pretty big role in the Bruins, Mike. He had played, uh, I believe, 27 games with the team. He was averaging over 14 minutes of ice time. He had five goals and eight assists. So 13 points in 27 games as a 19-year-old coming in with two of the bigger retirements uh, of last year with David Krejci and Patrice Bergeron. So Poitras was filling in quite nicely. I don't know if he was fully playing center, but he was playing a pretty enough prominent role on that team. So it'll be exciting to get some firepower added onto Canada's World Junior roster. 
He's a great player, and you can bet Denver Barkey will get the invite to camp next year, and he will have every shot at making Team Canada as a 19-year-old. So we wish Team Canada the best, and let's talk now about the World Junior Hockey Championship. Shane Malloy is with HockeyProspectRadio.com and has joined us for a preview. Shane, you ready for this tournament? Oh, I love the World Juniors. It's It's my favorite tournament of the year. I actually admittedly like it better than the Stanley Cup final. That's how much I just love this tournament. So I can't wait. And we just recorded our, our two hour uh, world junior preview show for our show, hockey prospect radio. So you guys, everybody will be able to listen to it uh, this end of this week. So it's, um, you know, it's Brad Allen and myself and Jason Buchlin. We kind of like throw it, throw the puck around and um, we don't always agree, which makes it super fun. Well, we will do a little condensed version, but check out the full version. If you're as big a fan of the tournament as we are, that's exactly what you need to be ready. When we look at this tournament, we always wonder, because in Canada, Canadians just want gold and don't understand when gold doesn't happen. So where does Canada rank, do you think, Shane, among the favorites going into this year? Well, I think it goes on paper, U.S. and Sweden, and they're super tight. And then there's a group underneath that, whether it's Canada, whether it's Czechia, whether it's Slovakia, whether it's Finland, any of those four teams can end up getting bronze. If, if you're going to base it on paper and you got to let the teams play, of course, that's where I don't know. Because each of these four teams that I mentioned, there is something about that team that is a weakness. That there's an unknown factor. I shouldn't call it a, a weakness, but definitely an unknown factor. And then once the tournament you know presents itself, they get through. You know, it starts to like sort of pres- those themes kind of develop as the tournament progresses, and you start to see potentially what could happen. So definitely the Americans up front, like that forward group, is the best forward group I've seen since the 2005 Canadians in North Dakota. James Hagen didn't make it. It's- yeah. What does is that, that tell you? Is that a, a suggestion of how good the team is? No, no, it's ridiculous. They're going to have first line players on their fourth line. It's the way it is. It's just that year for them. So we're going to see, but they still got to play, you know, so they could like get overconfident and over cocky and get themselves into trouble. But I don't think so. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll watch for them. When you look at what Canada maybe doesn't have at the elite level, what do you point to, Shane? Well, I think Matthew Parachwa comes in, and what he does is he puts other players in a position that's better suited for them. I look at them, and I think that certainly make you know him and Celebrini. You know, they have that offensive punch, that wow factor for them, and that's great to have because it forces defenders to gravitate towards them. So I think that makes certainly makes a difference. What Team Canada up front forwards have? They have a really good group of two-way forwards. So you look at, you know, the Fraser Mittens of the world. You look at a guy like uh, Nate Danielson, um, Owen Beck, that you, you know, you guys, that you see a lot of, of those guys. They're going to be able to provide that to, they're going to be able to match up against the other team's top lines and try to shut them down. But then you have like, you know, Matthew Wood, you know, bottom of the circle. He's going to be able to big body, provide some offensive there. See what Brandon Yeager does in terms of, you know, um, Offensive ability, you know, Jordan Dumas has like offensive flair in that respect. Of course, you know, Matthew Savoie should be able to provide a lot of offense. He's like super talented in that respect, but they're just 
Owen Beck is a really good two-way forward as well. So they have that up front, but they just don't have the wow superstars in numbers that they've had in the past. And that's what I'm interested to see how this team up front looks. I mean, like they're good enough to medal, but are they better on paper than the Swedes and the Americans? I don't think so, but you got to play the games, you know, and that happens. That's it. Shane Malloy joining us from HockeyProspectRadio.com. Their preview is coming out, and it's a long preview, so check that one out. When we look from a Knights perspective, Knights fans are going to be wondering where Easton Cowan and Oliver Bonk could slot in for Canada. What do you see their roles being? Well, look, Easton Cowan is going to have that role of energy. He's going to have to bring pace and energy, and he's going to have to be the irritant factor for Team Canada. He's going to have to irritate just by his presence, the opposition. He's going to force the opposition to take dumb penalties. Just constant energy every time he's over the boards because you know he's going to play less minutes. So every shift counts for him. And just play with, like, he doesn't have to play more than what he is because he's playing in a really strong group of players. So he has a specific role. Remember in his first year when he came to London, he's going to have to play that. And when he plays that, he's really highly effective as a player. He's going to make the other defensemen go bat, you know what, crazy. And that's what he needs to do. And I think every every Canada team has a guy like that. And I think he's going to have to be that for Canada. And then for Oliver Bonk, when you look at this defense core, I think he's going to be a guy that can – is a two-way defenseman that sort of fits right in the middle of this group. Not going to run a power play, but he might on a second unit because he's capable of doing it, but he doesn't necessarily have to be the shutdown guy. He's a guy that's right in the middle of this group, right? So you're sort of looking at, is he a number four? Is he a number five? Five in this group, which is an advantage to him because if he has to defend against third and fourth lines, it's a great, especially against the teams that are not as good, he's going to be able to shut those those players down. So I think he's going to be right in that steady Eddie in the middle group of a two-way defenseman, which I think it suits him really, really well. He's not going to have to be burdened with maybe being the shutdown duo. I think that's where, you know, guys like Lamaru, um are going to be in that mix. The Lenos are going to be in that mix, in that mix and because they're big bodied guys. Um, you know, maybe Noah Warren's going to do a lot of penalty killing in that respect. So that's where I think Oliver Bonk fits in. Before we get to maybe some teams that could really surprise Finland, they have some young players. Uh, they they have some players who are still undrafted. Where do you see them fitting in? Are they in that challenge for the bronze, bronze medal? Yes, I would put them, Canada, Slovakia, and Czechia into that group of four. And who, whichever team has the best goaltending is probably going to like get into that gold, the, into that medal game and then win bronze. And we're talking about on paper, of course, right? Uh, if On paper, you would suspect that the Americans and the Swedes are going to play for gold. And then whoever has the best goaltending and really has the best penalty kill and special like and power play is going to come into that bronze medal game. But we've seen it in the past. When you look at the Slovaks, when Godless stood on his head and got the Slovaks into the medal game, that could happen for the Slovaks because they had Adam Gagin, and he could steal a game for you. But the Czechs have Horable in net, and he can steal a game for them, right? So, you know, and, and the Finns 
are always hard to play against because they play a very smart team structured game. They don't, they do have some offensive players. Um, their defenses overall is, is, is good, but you know, they don't have the superstars that really wow. I mean, they have a couple guys that can be superstars, but they're not proven superstars. So that's where I think that, that those 14 mix, that's going to be the interesting group is who comes out of that 14 mix. Who's getting into that bronze medal game. I mean, they could also upset and get themselves into, they could upset Sweden. They could upset the States and they could be there. That can happen. We've seen it happen in this tournament. So we'll see. That's where I, I see that. And then there's the group underneath that, that wants to avoid relegation and they don't want to be there for that. And we'll touch on Latvia, Norway in just a moment. Kasper Haltonen's only 18 for Finland. Right. Do you see him playing a major role or is he somebody yes. that they could put no, in a no, special I, I, role? I think they have to. When you look at Finland's, you know, like he's a guy that's going to have to play a, a big role for them. You know, the undrafted, but you also, you know, Constant Hel- Hellenius, Emil Hemming, like both are draft eligible players. They're going to have to play an offensive role for this team. And that's where you look at, because you look at the four group for the Finns, if I'm looking at it and we talked about them, they got, you know, eight, nine, I think they have nine guys that are draft eligible. So, no, eight guys that are draft eligible uh, are drafted and a couple draft eligible. So their top nine is going to be good in terms of forwards. So they're going to be good. Their defense is kind of vanilla. And now they have drafted players. They have five of them, but they're not, there's nobody really there that stands out because they're, they're draft eligible guy who you want in our, who um, he's not, he's hurt. So he, he's, he's the dynamic defenseman that they really needed. So that's what I'm curious about from that standpoint. The Finns are always tough. They're pesky. They always find a way to be in that contention. So I, I honestly don't know who's coming out of that four group. Chechia, I don't know about like Slovakia could upset. Canada obviously should be there. So, you know, we'll see. Makes it fun. We'll see. Well, yeah. Canada Makes the Finland. tournament great. Yeah. Canada, Finland kicks off the tournament on Boxing Day. Last note, Shane, and that is don't sleep on games that feature Germany or Latvia or Norway because every once in a while there is certainly an upset or there's always someone to see. Anybody on those three teams that you would look at to say, hey, watch for this player because they're just a lot of fun to see. Well, look, in terms of fun fan bases, nobody's more fun than the Latvians and then the Norwegians are right underneath that. Latvians have the best hockey fans. They come into the rink. They probably had about six or seven adult beverages and they're beating the drum. They're fantastic. Fun people to be at the game with and after the game with. But in terms of draft eligible players, keep an eye on a couple players in Norway. Uh, one of them obviously is Michael uh, Brandeg Nygaard. He's very highly thought of. He's a right winger, 6'1", about 195 pounds, right-handed shot, plays in Elfenskin in, in, in Sweden. And then there is a defenseman that I want you guys to keep an eye on in, in Stein Solberg. Now, Stein Solberg is 17. He is you know six foot two, 192 pounds, but he plays like a Viking. Like, he is a piece of work. He is one of the angriest, vicious defensemen out there, but he doesn't take any penalties. And he's only got six penalties, and he's playing against men in Norwegian Norwegian Pro League. But he is 
he's going to make for the forward's life absolutely miserable. And I'm going to see how he handles that in the international competition because you know how the referee is there, right? So, but Stein Solberg, he's a guy that I want to keep an eye on. And I go to those games on purpose. I never miss a game. So I'm going over on Boxing Day. But specifically, those are the guys you can find. And I know if you're a CHL general manager, that's a guy you're going to want to knife fight somebody to get over to your team because he's perfectly fits into the CHL playoffs. He is that kind of guy for you. That's awesome. Shane, good luck with everything. A safe flight over. Enjoy it. We'll check it out at hockeyprospectradio.com for the full preview. Thank you for giving us this preview today. As Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, of course. We're in our 19th season, and it'll be up on podcast this week. So any of your podcast providers, Spotify, you can get it on our website, of course, or, you know, Apple. So it's out there in full force, and we'll continue to do a couple shows during the tournament as well. So thank you to all our listeners, and Mike, I appreciate it. Shane Malloy from HockeyProspectRadio.com. Slovakia, maybe Shane thinks they'll they'll make things tough on people. The addition of Matthew Poitras certainly makes things interesting for Canada, the United States, Sweden. It's always a fantastic tournament. So here's what we will do on the podcast moving forward. If there is big night's news, we'll certainly have it for you. Otherwise, we will return when the London Knights return to action and set things up as we move forward in 2023 and 2024. All the best through the holidays kyle enjoy everything yeah mike you as well and i it's it's fun we've done over a calendar year now of this podcast and last year we had a memorable run all the way to the ohl finals and i felt like that's continued on with a great start to this season looking forward to 2024 with you mike and hopefully a lot more uh memorable moments with the team with you guys the listeners and hopefully continuing to grow this network in this podcast and and see every opportunity we have moving forward Absolutely. All the best. Please be safe. And we will talk to you as the London night season continues. 